Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, June 28th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 to 14. Jeremiah preaches that because the people of Judah have not listened to the word of the Lord that he has preached, the Lord will send them to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be back. As we get started this morning, let's talk context. Jeremiah gives us pretty specific context yet again with this chapter. In the first verse, he says this happens in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which is also the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So with that in mind, Pastor Preuss, set the historical context for us. What's going on in the years around the time Jeremiah preaches this word in chapter 25? Yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of dynamics uh, that are I think very important uh, in the background here, and one is is the the dynamic with Egypt. So Josiah was a great king. Uh, he was you know he and Hezekiah are kind of set up as the two really great kings after David um, and Solomon, and they both have their reforms. Uh, Josiah, of course, remember uh, he he dis- rediscovers the the book of the law. And uh, he's a he's a great king, but then, but then all of them, even Hezekiah and Josiah, fell short. And one of the things that Josiah fell short in is that he went out to battle against Necho of Egypt, while Necho of Egypt was going up to fight the Assyrians. So you have all this kind of political, geopolitical stuff going on, and Josiah then is killed in battle, which then is kind of the beginning of just the the downfall um, of of Jerusalem, and so his son Jehoahaz uh, reigns in his place, but he's only there for a few months, and he's imprisoned by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, and then he's replaced by Eliakim, who is uh, whose name is changed to Jehoiakim, and that's Josiah's other son, right? Um, so, so here now is the context where Jehoiakim has been. Uh, in his, he's in his fourth year, so he's been reigning for three or four years, and, uh, and then, and 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 this is the this is the time. Then this is the the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now there is some, there are some things that we should discuss uh, as far as just background here. If you compare this to Daniel chapter one, verse one. Daniel says that it was in the third year of Jehoiakim and the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that he that Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged Jerusalem, right? And so, so there, you, it sounds like there is a contradiction there. You know, Jeremiah says it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim, and Daniel says it's the third year, and that can that can easily be understood just by looking at the fact that. Uh, the, 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 the years of one's reign are not always counted in the same way. So the first year of Nebuchadnezzar would often be considered its, uh, his ascension year, or the first year of any king uh, would often be considered to be his ascension year. And then his second year would be looked at as his first year. Think of it like kind of having a delayed vicarage, right? <laughs> Like you, you know, That's you right. go off, you, you go three years in the seminary, and now you go off to Vic on Vicarage. And a lot of times these delayed Vicarages uh, convert into a call, right? So you might say that your first year was your Vicarage year, but really it wasn't really your first year. So, so, so Nebuchadnezzar was still reigning with his father um, in what would have been 605, 606 uh, BC, around that time. Um, he, and, and, uh, and it would have been 
that year that he would have started to besiege Jerusalem. And it's also right after he has defeated Egypt. So, 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 so this is what's significant uh, for, uh, for Jeremiah to set the stage here, that this is at a kind of crossroad for, for the Jerusalem. Uh, Egypt has been their master, you know, ever since Josiah was killed. And Jehoiakim has had to be a vassal for Egypt. But now Egypt has been defeated. And now here's this bigger boy in town, the, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Who, the Chaldeans are really just the race of people or the, 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 the kind of tribe of people who would have, who would have controlled Babylon. Um, and, uh, and so now, now here's Jehoiakim and Jerusalem's chance to resist this new enemy. Um, but the good news is that, that they've, they've gotten Egypt off their backs. And so maybe they can do some politicking here and there. Maybe they, maybe they want to form an alliance with Egypt because they have a common enemy, you know? And so there's a lot of political things for them to consider, which make a lot of sense from a political standpoint. But now here, Jeremiah comes along and he's like, guys, I've been telling you this stuff for years that this is coming, you know, this is all coming upon you because the word of God has said so. And you have not listened to the word of God. You haven't turned from your evil ways. Um, and so I, lo- I, I went through uh, a Bible study a few years back on the minor prophets. And um, I love to say this about the prophets, that the prophets are like, they're sort of a, a rain on your parade or um, a turd in the punch bowl, as you might say. You know, they're just... Uh, <laughs> they're, they're so, you know, here, uh, what has, what they have overcome, what kind of things that they have gone through. This has been a very difficult stretch of, uh, of a few years for the people of Jerusalem. Their, their dear King Josiah has been killed. And, um, you know, now Jehoiakim is just trying to do, trying to manage things. And now here's his opportunity and he's got a, he's, he's just got to ward off this last enemy. And then now the prophet comes along and says, nope, you shouldn't do that because this is God's punishment on you. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I really appreciate you bringing out the, the political context because that really, I think sets this stage very well. It, It could have been at least politically speaking, it looks like a very hopeful moment. And then here comes Jeremiah mm-hmm. to reign on the parade. It's no wonder that Jeremiah receives the persecution that he does. We, I mean, think about several of the things that he's preached back in chapter 24, which chronologically speaking actually comes after chapter 25. But in chapter 24, yeah. he, he's preached a message there that had to really deflate the people that said, you remember those, those guys who gotten taken into exile by Babylon, they're the ones that have the hope. You folks back here in Jerusalem, you've got no hope. Here in this text, he's going to say, hey, I know things look great in the political world, but theologically, it's not so great, and the Lord is going to send you into exile. It's, I mean, it's no wonder that Jeremiah gets punished, persecuted the way that he does by the civil authorities. Yeah, he's, he's, what Jeremiah is doing is he's preaching against the civil religion. And this is something that... Uh, we should always be on our guard um, against is, uh, you know, while I'm all for patriotism, we should love our country. We should love, pray for where we are. In fact, we see this in Jeremiah chapter 29, (laughs) how uh, Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles and says, you know, seek for the peace of Babylon because that's going to be your home for a while. (laughs) Right. So that's what we should do. We're understanding that we are, we are pilgrims wherever we are. We are strangers in this world, wherever we live. And so we are to pray for the prosperity of, uh, of where we live and the protection of where we live, but we should not conflate that with a kind of um, re- religion. You know, there's, you know, I think it's very, it's, uh, this sometimes comes out, often comes out in like a Memorial Day service um, where fighting for the military is sort of your ticket into heaven. You know, it's uh, or dying for dying for for your country is going to you know bring you to the pearly gates, and it's very works righteous and it's very kind of universalistic, and uh, and it's and 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 this is this is really nothing new under the sun. 
And so here you have, uh, you know, Jehoiakim and the leaders of Jerusalem saying, united we stand. And Jeremiah is coming and saying, nope. You know, it's, it reminds me, and really what this is, is it's the age-old religion of, of humanism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this all the way back in the Tower of Babel, where they think, oh, well, we can all just get together and build something big, you know? Besiege, uh, uh, no one will be able to besiege us. We'll make a name for ourselves. Um, not even God will be able to besiege us. It reminds me of my brother, my brother James said, uh, he said, uh, come on guys, let, let, let's all get the, uh, uh, he's like, come on guys, gather around. He can't send us all to hell, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, no, he can. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's the false God of humanism which pops up in many manifestations and really it usually manifests itself in some sort of, some sort of political allegiance. Um, and, uh, and so you see the things that Jeremiah is talking about and how they've chased after other gods. Well, how would they do this? They would do this by in the form of kind of military or political alliances. I mean, go back, think back to the time that uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, joined forces with uh, with Ahab, mm-hmm. right? And then he was rebuked for doing that because he and Ahab actually didn't agree. They they were not of one spirit. And uh, and or, or when when uh, when 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 Ahaz uh, went and uh, he 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 was he had Syria and northern Israel in alliance against against him against Jerusalem and so he went up to the gods of Damascus to sacrifice to them and then he tried to sacrifice to the gods of Assyria and you know this is so this this kind of sprinkling the incense on the altar for the emperor or or, or for whatever kind of political figure is going to is going to be of in, enough influence to, to help you this is nothing new this is this is how idolatry would happen. And it's to this day how idolatry happens, that people sprinkle their incense on some kind of religious sort of civil cause um, that does not give glory to God as the only Savior. One more note on the context, Pastor Preuss. This same year, the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, is going to come up again in chapter 36 in connection with the writing down of Jeremiah, this book on a scroll. What's what's happening there that's related? Yeah, so so this is, it, it, this kind of, you, you allude to this already, this kind of shows how Jeremiah is written. Um, Jeremiah is kind of, it's not necessarily written chronologically, um, and I'm no expert on Jeremiah. I've been meaning for, for a while to to go through Jeremiah in Bible study, um, and uh, but I just haven't, you know, I haven't gotten to that yet. But um, but one thing that I have noticed about Jeremiah that's very obvious is that it is not as it's not strictly chronological, and so what you see in chapter 36 is. Jeremiah recording when God told him to write down what would happen to Jerusalem. And so basically chapter 25 is what chapter 36 is about. You know? So, so chapter 36 is about Jeremiah writing chapter 25. <laughs> right. That's, that's kind of how I understand that. All right. We'll keep that in mind when we get to chapter 36 then. Yeah. And I mean, as you said, it's, it's not strictly chronological, but it, it does have a, a certain, certainly a unity in its message. And much of what we're going to hear today is going to sound very familiar to things that Jeremiah has preached, but there are plenty of things that we'll have opportunity to talk about, particularly the number of years that's prophesied here, as well as some of the other things that are talked about when it comes to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. So with that, let's read this part of Jeremiah chapter 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. I have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although Excuse me, you have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, 
Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. That's our text for today. That's Jeremiah 25, verses 1 to 14. So, Pastor Preuss, again, we we talked about that context which Jeremiah lays out in the first verse of the text. And then starting in verse 3, we actually get the words that Jeremiah preached. And, And he he almost he gives this recounting of his ministry up to that point. He's been a, a pastor, a preacher in Jerusalem for 23 years. And, and he says, I've spoken persistently to you, but you've not listened. I mean, I can, I can imagine the frustration that's in Jeremiah's voice at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, <clears throat> we, I mean, you, you and I were talking briefly before, um, uh, earlier about, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, how this kind of reminds you of Paul or maybe one of the other apostles. And you see this in Paul, like in Galatians, where Paul goes through, you know, he first has to say, hey, I'm called by God. I'm not called through any man, but but I'm called by God through Jesus Christ. And um, and let me tell you my story. This is what I've gone through. I was persecuted. I was, you know, I was, I was uh, um, first I was persecuting the church, and then I came to faith, and then and then I was persecuted myself for proclaiming the faith, and I preached for so many years without even consulting with the apostles. And then they gave me the right hand of fellowship. And so he's kind of, and then he, and then he gets into it. And then he says, "Who has bewitched you?" You know, you can see the frustration that he has again and again and again been teaching this, and he's gone through so much pain and sorrow to teach them this, and still they're not hearing it. And I think that what you're seeing, this frustration that you're seeing from the prophet is a frustration that comes out um, in, in other prophets as well. And there's something very similar to the book of Jeremiah and the book of Job. Um, they both have uh, this kind of cursed be the day that I was born moment. You know, I think that's Job chapter three. And where is that Jeremiah? That's Jeremiah chapter remember. 20, I think. Chapter twenty, yeah, yeah. So they, <clears throat> yeah, and they're both very, they're both both very similar in that way, where they're they're just kind of, you know, giving that that great lament. And of course, you have lamentations is written by Jeremiah. So, so we have in Jeremiah um, not only the voice of God, but even in a way the personification of God, um, and kind of character of God manifest in him and the way that he is having to suffer for these people, you know, um, obviously this is a foreshadow of the, of the suffering of Christ. Um, so it, within Jeremiah, who, who also interestingly is a priest, right? He's not, uh, is that, that's correct, right? Isn't yes. He, yeah. Uh, he's of a priestly background. Yeah. 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 So you have him as a kind of, kind of, uh, fulfilling in a way this priestly activity of suffering for the people and uh, so his frustration is 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 very deep um that uh, they won't listen to his word to the mm. word that god has given him to proclaim um mm. so and of course you know we know how much jeremiah has to suffer he's thrown into dungeons and all that kind of stuff and his life is threatened 
again and again. Hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, you, you see the, the long-suffering, in the long-suffering of Jeremiah, you see a picture of the long-suffering <clears throat> of the Lord. And, I mean, and, you know, Jeremiah mm-hmm. will also say, you didn't listen to me, and you also didn't listen to any of the prophets that the Lord sent before me. And, and as you were talking, you know, I mean, several guests in previous episodes have brought out how Jeremiah's laments often sound like the Lord's lament over Jerusalem before he enters in, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one yeah. that, and how I, how I long to gather you. This, this text where Jeremiah says, I've, I've been preaching to you for 23 years, reminds me a little bit of, it's not quite the same, but maybe it's, there's some similarity of when Jesus will, will say to his disciples, you know, are you still hard hearted? Or, or is it, I think it's, oh, yeah. is it to Philip in, in John chapter 14? How, how long have I been yeah. with you, yep. Philip? That kind of thing as well from our Lord. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's right. Yeah, there and there's so many, so many uh, similarities here. Like you just point out, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you killed the prophets, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and this is Jeremiah speaking in a very similar way. I mean, Jeremiah talks in... Uh, in Lamentations, I think it's chapter three about the wormwood and the gall, you know, um, and, uh, you know, the kind of uh, the bitterness of suffering that's that's there and the frustration in um, the law. Like, it's it's patience with. But at the same time, it shows a kind of frustration in, in, in the midst of it. Right. And so it's a very kind of uh, humanize, uh, patience, you know, God is patient, but God also sighs, you know what I mean? I mean, he, there's, we see it in Christ where Jesus, he groans for, for the people. He, he, you know, he, he's, uh, and yet he's not being impatient in his growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see a picture in Jeremiah of, of a similar kind of groaning yet with patience. And we see this in the Psalms all over the place too, you know, all these lamentation Psalms. So that's a good thing to consider and meditate upon. Mm-hmm. As Jeremiah continues, you know, he's, he says, I've spoken persistently. The Lord has spoken to you persistently through prophets. And, and this is what's been said in verse five. Turn now. This is some favorite language from Jeremiah, this language of, of turning, of repenting from his evil way and his evil deeds. And, and later it will talk specifically about idolatry. And then this provoking to anger with the work of your hands, that phrase work of your hands shows up a couple of times in this text. What are these evil deeds? What's the work of the hands that the Lord is imploring his people to turn from? Yeah. So, I mean, the work of their hands would be several things, you know, uh, abominations um, and uh, you know, all sorts of sins. Uh, But what, what they're, what they very much uh, are manifest in what's probably most emblematic of the work of their hands are the idols that they create and the high places that they set up um, that these, these crafted idols, they're the works of man's hands, but they're deaf, they're mute. Uh, they can't hear, they can't speak. Uh, they can't save you. Um, and this reminds me of, I mean, there are other Psalms that talk in that way. Um, but this reminds me of Psalm 28, which we learned in our, Wednesday school and Sunday school this uh, last, no, no, it was the third quarter that you learned that. And, um, and it goes, uh, you know, uh, how does it go? Uh, that, uh, that they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the works of his hand. Mm. Right. And, uh, and that they rely rather on their own works or the works of their own hands. And, uh, and so there, so, so for them to, to rely on their own works, um, uh, uh, is, is, is really the, goes hand in hand with them refusing to hear the word of the Lord and rely on his works. Um, so the other gods that they follow after, um, would be, like I said before, you know, there's going to be a political component attached to it, this kind of civil religion that's attached to it. But really, what's at the core of all of it is works righteousness, right? It's the idea that their their works are going to do it, rather than the hearing of faith, as Paul says in Galatians. You know, going back to another frustrated uh, minister of the Lord, you know, who was who was saying, uh, you know, hey, who has bewitched you? Yeah. You know, who would? Uh, how do you do? You think that you're being now being perfected by the flesh? You know, by the works of your own hand, um, or or is it by the hearing of faith? Right? And and you see this throughout. 
throughout uh, Jeremiah uh, is such a huge theme. Every it's like every chapter, just about where you know, you hear the word of the Lord, obey the word, listen to the word. Right? Mm-hmm. It's about uh, you know. So so again, there are many other sins and abominations, but they're all centered on this central sin of unbelief. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I could, uh, could I just read this? Just uh, I think the probably the, the most succinct uh, example in Jeremiah in chapter seven, um, where he describes you know what their real sin is. Could uh, do you mind if I read that? Go for it. Um, so Jeremiah says in chapter seven, um, and this is uh, beginning with verse twenty-one. He says, "Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat." For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. So here you have God calling them to a life, to a worship of him, to trust in him, to hear his word. And faith comes by what? By hearing the word of God. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that them turning away from that, hardening their hearts against the word, refusing to believe and heed the word is really their main sin. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so all of the other abominations are really just symptoms of that central sin. Right. And so that's what Jesus says in John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Why? Because they don't believe in Jesus. Right. It's the sin of the heart. Um, whereas on the other hand, what did the sheep of Christ do? They hear his voice. So this work of their hands, this idolatry begins in the heart, uh, of, of, of turning away and, and, and also begins in the ears, uh, where, where you do not want to hear the word of the Lord. And we see this, we see this in Isaiah chapter six, you know, keep on hearing, but do not understand, keep on seeing, but do not perceive, right? This is the judgment that they bring upon themselves, that they, that, 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 that they have followed the works of their own hands instead of relying on the works of the Lord and hearing his word and his voice. And uh, that's at the heart of their, of their, uh, their idol worship. Yeah. I mean, over and over again, Jeremiah's emphasis, the idolatry that comes from not hearing, not believing the word of the Lord, which is what he's going to keep preaching to the people here in Jeremiah chapter 25. You're listening to sharp iron on KFUO talking with Pastor Andrew Preuss today. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, June 28th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 to 14 with Pastor Andrew Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we're talking about these words from Jeremiah. They've provo- The people have provoked the Lord to anger with the work of their hands. And so the Lord pronounces his judgment because they've not done this. They've not obeyed. They've not listened. He's sending the tribes from the north, and he specifies Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and very particularly calls Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his servant, which sounds very surprising. What does it mean that the Lord would call Nebuchadnezzar his servant? Well, uh, St. Paul explains this uh, kind of broadly uh, as far as civil servants go, uh, you know, governing authorities in, in Romans chapter 13. He calls them servants of justice or servants of wrath, uh, of God's judgment. Um, and, uh, and so this, on the one hand, the answer is that, you know, every civil authority is God's servant you know, uh, to, to exercise outward punishment, um, and, and outward reward on those who do good. Um, and, uh, and you see this also in, in John's gospel and during the passion, uh, where, where Jesus is being tried before Pilate and Pilate 
says, don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And Jesus said you would have no authority unless it were given to you from above, right? So, so Pilate is, is God's servant. In fact, his, his name is in all of our creeds, you know, uh, forever enshrined in the confession of the Christian church that suffered under Pontius Pilate. So, so it's, you know, this is how God has always worked. He has used civil rulers um, who aren't necessarily believers and often are not believers. Uh, in order to bring about his glory and bring about his, uh, specifically his glory of salvation. Um, Because that's really what gives God glory, is to save sinners. Um, And all of this is part of that plan. Um, So when you look at, you you, you know, you look in Jeremiah, here Jeremiah 25, he calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Um, He he says that a few other places in Jeremiah, you got chapter 27, 43, but it, but it also is reminiscent of what Isaiah says. Isaiah refers to Cyrus as God's shepherd, right? He refers to Cyrus uh, as uh, as God's anointed, which is in the Hebrew that that Messiah or Christ, you know. So uh, Cyrus is like a, and Cyrus again is that he's the king of um, he's the king of Persia who would take over Babylon, um, which would be uh, how the people of Israel would be brought back into Jerusalem. So the exiles would be brought, would return, or at least a portion of the exiles would return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple uh, under the order of Cyrus, which he received from the Lord God. Um, and, you know, the, so, so Cyrus is called God's servant or God's anointed, God's shepherd, um, because God is using Cyrus to fulfill his his plan of bringing the people back to Jerusalem. Well, so likewise, before that, 70 years before that, Nebuchadnezzar was seen, uh, was, was called his servant because he was, he was bringing about a very important and specific purpose. And that is to punish the people of Israel. And so he's a vassal of God. This is kind of what's interesting when you read the scriptures that you have all the political stuff going on and Jehoiakim becomes Nebuchadnezzar's vassal, but who's but 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 whose vassal is Nebuchadnezzar? Mm. He's the Lord's vassal, and we'll see. You know, as we see in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar does not humble himself before God, and so what does God do to him? <laughs> Turns him into makes him insane, yeah. um, and he's he's basically thinks he's a wild animal, and he's <laughs> has to be locked up for a while um, while he eats grass and stuff like that, and, and until he finally humbles himself before God and God restores him. So. So this shows then that God is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, right? And there is no there's no king in, on this earth who can uh, meet up to to God's glory. Um, and uh, God is going to work all things out for good for those who love Him. So we got to be able to find, you know, while we take this warning in Jeremiah seriously about what happens when you despise His word, we should understand that the great comfort behind this, though, is that. If God is the one, if God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant, that means that God is in charge, and God is going to bring about his his grand plan. So I guess we could kind of go from there, if you'd like. I don't know where exactly you want to go from there. Well, I mean, there's there's tons of directions we could go. <laughs> you, you you mentioned, but I think, well, I think we'll just stick with, with the text. You mentioned the 70 years, and then maybe we can circle back mm-hmm. around. But you mentioned the 70 years, which is mentioned here very specifically in where did it go? Verse 12, the 70 years is mentioned. Mm-hmm. So how does, how does that work in terms of the, the timeline, the 70 years? And then what's, what's the point of Jeremiah being that specific here? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the timeline would be, you know, it would begin around 606 or 605 BC. Um, and that's when Jerusalem is first besieged by, by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, but Jerusalem is continually fighting off Nebuchadnezzar and they're even while they're kind of paying, paying tribute to him. And so they're, they're continually playing politics. And so you see this throughout Jeremiah. Jeremiah gives us a great glimpse into, into the politics, um, as well as the theology, but you know, the, 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 what, what Zedekiah is trying to do. And so Zedekiah would be the guy after Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim. But Jehoiakim was 
didn't last very long. He was Jehoiakim's son. He was only there for a few months, and then Zedekiah was there for for longer, um, what like eleven years or something like that, and uh, or maybe even more, fifteen or something. And um, but he's there, so it's it's around five hundred eighty seven BC that finally Jerusalem is destroyed and the temples burned down, and that's when Zedekiah's eyes are plucked out and killed. His children are killed in front of him. Pretty horrible. Um, and uh, but the but the seventy years would would have begun when the first siege of Jerusalem came. And that was, like I said, 606, 605 BC, around that time. Um, and then the Persian King Cyrus, whom God calls his shepherd and his, his, uh, his anointed one, um, God, uh, God calls Cyrus to send the Jews back to Jerusalem. Um, so Cyrus would have conquered Babylon in about 537. And, um, and what was going on there was uh, Cyrus kind of, uh, uh, I don't think, you know, he, he was able to kind of win the people over. Um, and that's another story. We don't have to go all into that. But uh, but Cyrus took over Babylon. And uh, then the Persian Empire was 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 kind of, they were the new big boys in town. And But God called Cyrus, uh, appeared to him in a vision, and uh, told him to send the Jews back to Jerusalem. And so while Cy- Cyrus had, kind of conquered everything in 537 BC. Then it was about 536 that he sent the, uh, the people of Jerusalem back to rebuild the temple um, by God's command. So you, so you have, you know, 605, 606 to 537, 536. Um, that's roughly 70 years. Um, now the significance of 70, well, you know, seven is one of those important numbers in the Bible. You got, Three, which is the number for God, and four would be the number for the world. Um, four corners of the excuse me, four corners of the earth, <clears throat> and uh, you uh, put those together, you get seven. It's a it's a it's a complete number. Um, ten would be kind of a whole whole number as well. So you know, ten times seven, seventy. Um, you know, this comes up in 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 uh, different spots in in scripture, and there's lots of lots of stuff we could talk about as far as numerology, but it is all over in scripture. God created, he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Um, and so seven would be that, that time of rest, right? So, uh, so God is giving the, the land of Jerusalem rest from idolatry in a way, <laughs> uh, for, for those 70 years. And so it's sort of a Sabbath. Um, and, uh, and there's, uh, which is actually, that that certainly happens, you know, when <laughs> when when the when the mighty no longer have the resources, when the pagans and the false preachers don't any longer have the resources to promote their false doctrine, um, then uh, then it's kind of a rest for the land, even if everyone else has to suffer uh, uh, by for a lack of resources as well. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so seven is that significant number. Uh, I guess, you know, there's also, how often do I forgive my brother? Jesus says not seven times, but 70 times seven, you know, so there's that fully complete number. And so, uh, so, so there's that theological significance. It would, you think about, uh, think about, uh, the forgiveness, the patience of God. Um, and, uh, think of the, maybe the span of man's life, like Psalm 90, um, it's 70 or by reason of strength, 80, but it's, really shows the, you know, the God with God, uh, uh, a day is like a thousand years, right? God is very patient. And so 70 years should, should, um, show God's great long suffering and, um, and the rest that God desires to give to his people, mm. um, just as he rests on the seventh day. I think that that connection with the rest, if, if that's part of the connection that we can make, then I think that makes the return from exile similar to a, a, it's a resurrection in a sense, right? The, the eighth day, the, the new day, the return, the, the giving yeah. back of the land. I mean, back in, it was in Jeremiah chapter 16, where Jeremiah preached that there will come a day when people won't talk about the Exodus as the main event of salvation in the old Testament. They'll talk about the return of exile. And, and in all of those texts, it's, it's all about, I mean, it's all pointing forward to the resurrection as the ultimate hope where all these things are, are filled up. So I think, yeah, with, with 70, if, if the rest is a part of that, then that does 
heightened the sense that the return from exile is a, a restoration, a, a resurrection that the Lord's giving his people, which, I mean, that fits Ezekiel 37, too, I suppose. Yeah, and I was, um, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, this is all, this all culminates in the, uh, in the day of Pentecost, um, when the, when the, the, the people come from all, the remnant come from, uh, uh, from all over different countries and they hear the word of God proclaimed in their own language. They, they repent, they, they, uh, are baptized and they, they, they're, you know, thousands are added to the Lord right there, you know, and there's, and then that, that is continually being fulfilled even to this day. So, um, before, um, before I was, uh, uh, on this interview with you, I was, I was reading, uh, doing my, my Bible reading and reading through, uh, uh, Psalms, uh, Psalm 68, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a great Pentecost Psalm, um, which also talks about the, uh, you know, the ascension, uh, that he gives gifts to men, um, but the, he returns to his rest, right? He returns to his rest. And, and this goes back to what, 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 uh, the people of Israel, I believe it's numbers chapter 10, where they would, they took off from, the wilderness of Sinai and they followed the Ark of the Covenant. They followed the glory cloud. And whenever the glory cloud would leave uh, and they would have to tear down the tabernacle and follow it, they would say, they would say, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Right. So that's kind of how Psalm 68 begins. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. And then, and then you have in uh uh, then, then, then it says right after that that whenever it, whenever the glory cloud rested, and they would rebuild the temp, the, the tabernacle, they would say, "Return, O Lord, to the thousand, ten thousands of uh, of Israel." Right, and so there is that that remnant that's going to be brought in, and is continually being brought in, and there is that, you know, the Lord returning to His rest, right, to His sanctuary, and uh, so that 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 seventy years is very much of a Sabbath uh, uh, significance. And right now we are in that eighth day and even the time before Christ. So in between when, when the remnant came back to Jerusalem and when Christ finally came, there was that intermediate period kind of intertestamental period, as we might call it, which is they're sort of right on the edge of that eighth day. Right. And then Christ comes and now we are in the day uh, where the Lord is returning to his rest. That's very helpful, Pastor Preuss. As the text continues, and, and you were talking earlier about Babylon and and how the Lord uses Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon as his servant, yet Jeremiah also talks about how Babylon will receive judgment. And part of what you were saying earlier is we said we could go in many directions. You brought to mind Psalm 2, how you know the kings of the, Lord, of the earth set themselves against the Lord, but the Lord's sitting there in heaven laughing. And, and it seems like something like that maybe applies here with Babylon. The Lord, yes, will use Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon as his servant, but at the same time, Babylon, in their own pride and idolatry, they too will be judged. What does Jeremiah have to say about the judgment of Babylon and, and how all the nations really will be judged? Yeah, so this is, you know, Babylon is not exempt. Just because they are used as a vassal of God does not mean that they are exempt uh, from being accountable toward God. Uh, they're still going to be accountable to God. In fact, even more so, though, uh, they will be accountable to God with, by how they do his will. Um, and, uh, and as we know, you know, as I mentioned with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God uh, because he refused to humble himself before God. And so, as Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had to walk around on it on all fours acting like an animal and and then babylon ultimately was destroyed uh by uh, by persia and uh and was taken over and so this is uh this is uh this, this is a lesson that we can that can all learn for ourselves um that uh that god calls us all to carry out different tasks and we're accountable to god for those things um, but, uh, but also to understand that when God uses 
um, certain evil people to bring about chastisement and bring us, uh, bring us, uh, you know, to humility. Um, we can understand that, that God is, that these people are going to be accountable to God as well. So if you ever have to go through some kind of persecution, you know, count it as God's chastisement that he is using to bring you closer to his word, to strengthen your faith, to, to teach you repentance and humility, but also understand that, that, uh, God is not going to look the other way then um, when, uh, you know, if, if, if these people whom he's using are, uh, are, you know, haughty and proud, proud uh, before him. So, so it's, it almost seems like kind of a paradox and almost God almost sounds like he has like a mood swing at first. Like he's going to use, he's going to use uh, Babylon on the one hand, but then he's going to get angry at Babylon for doing what, what he, sent him to do <laughs> and uh but really it just shows that god is um that god is is lord um he is and and, and he's going to use he uses means he uses instruments um to carry out his will and just like he uses his word and his sacraments his gospel to to deliver to us the forgiveness life and salvation that we need um from our lord jesus christ um, and uh, he actually became flesh in the person of the Lord, uh, in the person of his son Jesus Christ, and and so this is uh, you know just as God uses means to save us, so He uses means and instruments um, to uh, to bring to bring us to humility and repentance. Um, but we can know then that God is uh, He's not going to allow impenitence and haughtiness to go unpunished. So. Um, so yeah, and 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 th- this can then show us then how, uh, while we have this this harsh warning against disregarding His word, um, you know, He's God doesn't show partiality. God uh, God is going to He's going to see to it that His word does not return empty, um, and that is uh, that was true then, uh, just as He fulfilled His word, He brought them back to the land of Jerusalem. Um, and rebuilt the temple, and it was all for the specific purpose of bringing about his king, um, the, uh, the the king who uh, who would not depart uh, from from Judah. Uh, and again, I, I maybe I, if if I can, I'd like to just uh, mention something. This is a, this is uh, something that we had talked a little bit about in the break, and I didn't know how I could weave this in. But but this is speaking of God fulfilling His word and God being patient. And God working through His Word to bring it about. Um, there, there is something that is a, a difficult. There's a difficulty uh, for the for, for Jeremiah and for the for the faithful remnant that the prophet said the prophet the the, the prophecy of uh, Jacob said in Genesis chapter forty nine that the that the scepter will not depart from Judah. That the king is going to come through Judah. He's going to come through the line of David, right? And uh, so here you have the children of David, and they're saying, "No, we we got to keep going because we're the chosen ones." And Jeremiah is saying, "No, God's going to cast you out." Well, Jeremiah seems like he's contradicting God's promise that the scepter will not depart from Judah. What is he saying that God's going to throw them out of Judah? Like, well, um, this is uh, this is a spiritual promise, something that is going to be hidden for a while, but it is going to come to fulfillment. Um, and that's the whole reason why God brings them back after 70 years, is so that he would fulfill his ultimate promise uh, to uh, to bring about the king of Judah, the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ, um, who would uh, and, and who would reign um, with uh, with all all people and all authorities under his feet. Yeah, I mean, that that's a very important point for Jeremiah, not only here, but in several places in his ministry, and particularly considering his own, his himself as a faithful prophet, as well as the, the faithful remnant. How do they hold on to these promises of God when it seems that, you know, he hasn't kept them? That's that's where all of this is pointing us toward, to go back a couple chapters in Jeremiah chapter 23, the, the promise of mm-hmm. that righteous branch that will come from mm-hmm. the line of David, that even when they are sent into exile, that the Lord is keeping his promise. He is, all of this that he's doing through Nebuchadnezzar and, and all the nations and through Judah is all centered on keeping that very promise of, of bringing about the righteous branch from the line of David to be the savior of the whole world. 
and and all of this in ways that maybe don't make sense to to the people at the time or even sometimes to us this is how the lord is working to fulfill his word and and ultimately to draw us to confidence in his word and pastor Bruce, we got about 4 minutes here to to wrap things up any further thoughts on on jeremiah 25 and and especially how this you know how do we use this as christians today yeah so uh, this part of jeremiah 25 is a warning you know, we, 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 we of course, um, want to always emphasize that this, the whole scope of the Word of God, of the Scriptures, is the promise of the Gospel, which you beautifully uh, explained, brought out there, with the righteous branch who will be our righteousness and save us. But we also have to just, you know, be honest about today's text that we're studying, um, is really... You know, there's gospel in the background. We all, you know, there's gospel that is, that's in the, that's in the whole scope of everything. But this particular part is a, a severe judgment. It's a, it's a warning that we should take, take to heart even today. Because perhaps in our day, it isn't the Babylonians who are going to carry us off as slaves. But, um, maybe it's more subtle, you know, um, maybe it's schools or peers or, or other uh, components of the world that seduce our children into, uh, you know, false belief, despair, and other great shames and vice. And our, and, and our children aren't equipped to ward off these spiritual attacks because we weren't teaching them always to listen to God's word. Maybe we were teaching them that certain things take priority over God's word. Um, and uh, we weren't being diligent in talking about what, what God's promises say and what God's warnings say and to keep their, their focus on, on the eternal life that he's promised us rather than being distracted by the cares and pleasures of this life. And so that this warning still applies to us today, um, that, uh, that God, God chastises, God judges. Um, he, 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 he gives, uh, he punishes, you know, maybe that's not what people need to hear or want to hear, but they need to hear it. Um, and uh, he takes things away. And so we should, uh, we should learn to uh, not treasure the things of this world and treasure his word instead and, uh, and look our, ourselves and teach one another and our children to always look to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Um, because that is, that is where our hope is in Christ. And uh, let us never lose sight of that. Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Price, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks a lot. It was good. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, comments on the series, get in touch with us. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Use the new app to send a message through the open mic feature up to 60-second message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.